you have a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to open it with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, you can look on the pew back in front of you. And there should be a black hardback Bible there. I would encourage you to uh, remove it, uh, open it up to Romans chapter 12. And today we're going to give our attention to the first two verses of that chapter. While you're finding your place there in Romans 12, some uh, more good news to share with you at the beginning of this new year. I want to give you an updated total on our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Uh, we shared that uh, original total with you back on Christmas Day last Sunday. And uh, the offering now stands at $29,394. So thank you, Poplar Springs, again for your generous and giving spirit to uh, support the cause of missions and to get the name of Jesus Christ out among the nations. Uh, this morning, we're going to kick off a new uh, sermon series as we come to the new year, and I've titled it On Purpose, On Purpose. And Lord willing, we'll jump back into our study in Mark's Gospel when we get to the month of February. Uh, but for the first few weeks of this year, I want us to look at aspects of our faith that uh, we must give attention to, things we must be purposeful or intentional about. Uh, there's not really anything new that I'll be sharing with you, but rather important reminders about the directions we need to be taking in our spiritual life. These aspects of our faith that we're going to look at and explore over the next couple of weeks, uh, they simply won't happen accidentally. As we think about being on purpose at the beginning of this year, I'm calling us to be intentional in our faith. To use language that we're familiar with here at Poplar Springs, we won't make much of God by accident. We won't make much of God by mistake. We'll make much of God and we'll live lives to the glory of God when we do so with intentionality. Uh, to borrow the language of the Hebrew writer from Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to look at gospel matters that we must pay careful attention to. That's the wording that he uses there in the beginning of Hebrews chapter 2. We must pay careful attention to certain things. He just kind of heaps up phrases there. He could have said, pay attention. But he doesn't say that. He says, we must pay attention. And he even adds to that, he says, we must pay careful attention. There's some strong considerations that we must give to certain aspects of our faith, and we must do so, the Hebrew writer says, lest we drift away. You know what you have to do to drift in your spiritual journey, in your spiritual life? Absolutely nothing. You do nothing spiritually you're not active in your faith and pursuing the things of faith and pursuing Jesus Christ and you will drift and drifting has dire consequences for our faith. We sang in the last, next to last verse of the hymn, Come Thou Fount, the confession, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. I believe we would all confess that we have a heart that wants to love God and does love God, but yet if we're not purposefully pursuing Him, our hearts will take us in another direction. 
So to avoid spiritual drift, we must fix our direction upon Christ. And to do that, we need to be doing some things on purpose. So I'm praying that these reminders will keep some of us on course, will keep us going the right direction. For others, I'm praying that it will bring you back to the course. It will get you back on the right track as we pursue Christ together. And I want us to begin this morning looking at Romans chapter 12, the first two verses, familiar verses, and I want us to consider worshiping on purpose. Worshiping on purpose. So if you have your Bibles open this morning, hear God's word, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray once more. The grass withers and the flower, it fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And we thank you, Lord, for this, your holy word. And we pray now that you would open our eyes, that we would see our ears, that we might hear, that you would be at work within our hearts, that we might receive today what you are saying to us by your word. And Father, we pray that you would help us to be purposeful, intentional in our worship of you. Lord, we ask this now in Jesus' name, amen. As we come to Romans chapter 12, we come to a pivot point in Paul's writing to the Romans. The first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul has plumbed the depths of the gospel. He gives us perhaps the greatest theological treatise that has ever been written by the pen of a man. He reminds us that uh, God has worked in a magnificent way to provide salvation, justification, by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Well, for the first 11 chapters, he just covers that in all kinds of depth and detail. But in the second half of his letter to the Romans, beginning in chapter 12, Paul shifts in his focus. He has given us doctrine and now he begins to write on how that shapes our lives, how it's to be lived out. He gives us doctrine in the first 11 chapters, and then from chapter 12 through chapter 16, he gives us the doing, if you will, the application of how our lives would be lived in light of the gospel. And these verses that we've read this morning serve as the coupling of those two sections. What brings together theology and application, or if you will, orthodoxy and orthopraxy. These two verses bring those things together in our lives as believers. And at the heart of these verses, Paul is calling us to live our lives in worship for God. Paul's aim in Romans 12, 1 and 2, is to lead us to worship. Worship, which he says at the end of verse 1, is our spiritual act, that act which is holy and acceptable to God. But what is worship? This is what Paul is leading us to. That's a question we've got to ask and an answer we must 
arrive at, we must understand what he means by worship. And I think when we hear the word worship, we're prone many times to to simply think of this hour that we are participating in right now. That this is a worship service, and so worship is what you are doing there in the pew as you sing, as you pray, as the Word of God is preached, and you would not necessarily be wrong about that. But Paul today is going to remind us that worship is much broader than just being active in a service on a Sunday. Worship, rightly defined, is the recognition of God's glory and the appropriate response to it. It is the recognition of God's glory and the appropriate response to it. It is the specific act of ascribing to God the glory, majesty, honor, and worthiness which are his. Worship is intentionally declaring and delighting in God's greatness, his grandeur, and his glory. And it's this aspect of intentionality, this aspect of purpose, that distinguishes us from the rest of creation. Now make no mistake, all of creation worships God. It declares his glory. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Each night as the stars fill up a darkened sky, they are worshiping their creator. As he calls out the hosts by their name, the sun as it runs its course throughout the day is worshiping its creator. But the stars and the sun, the birds and the trees, the beasts of the field, They have no intentionality in that. It's simply what they were created to do and to be. But for us, our worship of God is intentional. It's purposeful. We must worship on purpose. And worship is an imperative for us as a church. It's imperative for us as believers worship is something that we must get right we we can't be negligent in worship we must do it on purpose and this morning there's four thoughts four truths that paul shares about worshiping on purpose that i think if we see them and understand them they can help us purposefully live out this aspect of our faith so let's look at them this morning number one Paul reminds us in the beginning of our text that the gospel is what fuels our worship. The gospel is what fuels our worship. Why should we worship? Why should we be intentional in worship? Paul simply says, consider the gospel. In the beginning of our text there in verse 1, there are two important words. The word, therefore... Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, and that word therefore is referencing back to all that he has written in the preceding 11 chapters, all that he has told us and reminded us of about the gospel. And to ensure that we don't miss that, Paul then adds to that, his appeal comes to us by the mercies of God. When Paul speaks of the mercies of God there, that's simply his shorthand phrase for referencing the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no greater demonstration of God's mercy in that he has given his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. In fact, Paul would tell us that even while we were his enemies, God sent his son to die for us. What mercy he has given to us in the gospel 
But it's here that Paul reminds us that the gospel is what drives us to worship, what fuels us in our worship of God, and what a glorious gospel it is. He begins in Romans by reminding us of our sin before God and separation from Him. Romans 3, 23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then he moves on to remind us of the good news of salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then Romans 10, 13, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. This is the gospel. This is the mercy of God extended to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's the gospel that's preached and presented to you here today as well. Perhaps you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus. Perhaps you're here and you've never turned from your sin and trusted in Christ for salvation. The good news of his gospel is that if you will come to him in repentance and faith and trust in him, he will save you. And the glorious good news of that salvation, Paul says in Romans 8.1, is that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who trust in Christ, their sin debt has been paid. The wrath of God has been removed from them. They've been saved from the coming judgment of a holy God. And Paul ends Romans 8 with a beautiful reminder He says, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's good news. We don't know what news awaits us in 2023. We wish, we hope, we pray that it will be a better year in some aspects of what we have had in 2022 and years even prior, but we simply don't know. But what we do know is that the gospel will always be good news. The gospel displayed in Jesus Christ. Paul even gives us his own personal response to the gospel. In the end of Romans chapter 11, the last couple of verses there, he just breaks forth in doxology. He's plumbed the depths of the gospel. He's preached the gospel again to those in Rome by letter, and he simply can't contain himself. In Romans eleven thirty three, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And then in the very next verses, which we read this morning in Romans 12, Paul says, I invite you to join with me in this worship. To remember the gospel. To recall what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. If you really want 2023 to be a year unlike any other in your life, make it your prayer that you will be gripped by the gospel all over again. Make it your prayer that God will impress upon your heart again the glories of his gospel in Jesus Christ, his son. And when we understand that, it will fuel us to live our lives as worship. The worship that we must do purposefully is motivated and driven and fueled by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But secondly, 
having called us to worship based upon the gospel, Paul then reminds us that worship fashions our lives. It fashions our lives. Paul says, in light of what Jesus has done for us, in light of his gospel, verse 1, he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or which is your reasonable act of service, some translations. They both convey the same idea. Our service before God is to be rendered as worship to Him. So here Paul has given us a really good understanding of what worship is. That it's not something that we simply do on Sunday morning. For the believer whose life has been captured and changed by the gospel, worship isn't just a meeting that we attend but rather it's a lifestyle that we live. Paul is reminding us here that we cannot compartmentalize our lives as Christians. Rather, our entire lives are going to be presented over to God as a living sacrifice, as an offering of worship that's to be made to Him. You're familiar with the language of sacrifices? It's something Paul's audience would have been familiar with there Uh, in Rome where they resided and all the pagan temples and all the sacrifices that were offered to the pantheon of of mythological gods that they worshipped. Of course, from an Old Testament perspective, we're familiar with the sacrificial system, the animals that were brought and laid upon an altar as an act of sacrifice and worship before God. But here, Paul says, the gospel has radically changed that. We don't give animal sacrifices Instead, we give our lives to him in sacrifice. We present our totality, all that we are to him as an act of worship. Because Christ has been slain for us, we are now to live our lives as a sacrifice for him. Paul is kind of using an an oxymoron here. I'm not talking about somebody when I use that word oxymoron, but it's two words that go together that don't seem to fit right if you go and order jumbo shrimp at red lobster for lunch today that's an oxymoron because shrimp are small they're not jumbo but you put them together and two words that normally don't uh, work well they, they come together that's what paul is doing here when he says living sacrifices sacrifices are things that typically when we think of have been slain they've been offered to god But Paul says, not so with us, because Christ was slain on our behalf. We now live as a sacrifice for him. And there's two things Paul communicates in this idea that worship fashions all of our life. First of all, the idea that we must worship God completely or comprehensively, if you will. What I mean by that is that we worship God in everything that we do. We see this because Paul says that we're to present our bodies to him. Our bodies, our lives are given over to him as an act of worship. There's nothing that you do apart from your body. Whether you like your body or you don't like your body, everything you do, you do with your body. Everywhere you go, your body goes with you. There's nothing that you will do outside of your body. So when Paul says we present our bodies to him, he's saying that we take all that we are, everything that we do comprehensively and live it out as worship before God because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, though, many times 
We only give Jesus a portion of our lives. We take the phrase, give your heart to Jesus, far too literally. God, I'll give you my heart, but you're not taking my hands. I'm not getting my head, you're not getting my feet. Paul says that's not the response to the gospel. The response to the gospel is, is that we give everything over to him. Ligon Duncan, a former Presbyterian pastor, he now leads in Reformed Theological Seminary. I think he captures this idea well when he writes... He says, it's almost like Paul is saying, don't give Jesus your heart. He wants more than that. My friends, Duncan says, that's a standing issue for us today because there are a lot of people who want to give their hearts to Jesus and they don't give him anything else. They want to live their own way. They want to act their own way. They want to have their own priorities. They want to give Jesus their hearts an hour or two at most a week. The rest of themselves and the rest of their lives, they want to keep under someone else's rule, their own. The Apostle Paul is saying here in Romans 12, don't give Jesus your heart. He wants more than that. He wants all of you. Give Jesus all of you. What we realize is that the gospel, it impacts and intersects with every area of our lives, every day of our lives. Therefore, everything we do is to be given over as worship to God. Everything. And when we begin to understand that, and when that begins to shape our lives, I'm telling you, it will drastically change how you live. It'll make you more aware of where sin is residing within your heart. It will help you begin to see God in everything and everywhere. Worship fashions, it shapes our lives, it's comprehensive. And then Paul says it's also continual. He says you worship him as living sacrifices. As long as you're breathing, whatever you are doing, you do it as worship before God. The bottom line is worship never ceases for a child of God. So that means in a few moments when we say a benediction prayer and you exit these pews and walk off of this campus, your worship has not ended. As a child of God, you are continually living in worship before him, making much of him in everything that you do. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Paul says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all to the glory of God. Worship fashions every aspect of our lives. Number three, when we come to the second verse, Paul reminds us that while we're called to worship in light of the gospel and everything that we do, we've got a fight on our hands. Paul tells us in the beginning of verse two that the world will fight us for our worship. You see, the reality is, is that every one of us and really everyone everywhere in the world today I read an article just yesterday that said, by New Year's Day, the world's population was expected to reach 7.9 billion people. What that means is there are 7.9 billion worshipers on the earth today. Because every human being is created for worship. The question is not, will you worship? But the question is, who or what will you worship? But everybody is going to worship something. We were made to do so. It's innate within us. 
So that's not the question. Will you worship? Yes, you will. But what will you worship? And while Jesus is the only one, he alone, who is worthy of all our worship and everything that we do every day of our lives, Paul reminds us that the world is competing against that. The world is fighting us for our worship. So we have to be on guard against becoming conformed. It's the word he uses. It literally means to be pressed into a mold. The world is wanting to shape you into its image. The world is wanting you to be like the world. Jesus is wanting you to be like him. And every day, what you worship, who you worship, will determine what you will be like. If you're taking notes this morning, I would write this down. You will become what you worship. You will become what you worship. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to turn into a car, or you're going to turn into a house, or you're going to turn into some materialistic object. But it means that whichever, you, what, whichever thing you go after in life, whatever system you pursue, you're going to be shaped into that image. You're going to be driven by its values. So if you're not worshiping Jesus on purpose, you're not going to live like Jesus on purpose. And Paul wants us to know that there's a fight out there for our worship. The world is wanting to press us into its mold. You've heard me teach this before. You, you probably studied this before. But you know when Paul writes that sentence in the beginning of chapter 2, he does it in the passive voice. And the passive voice tells us that the subject is not the one doing the action, but rather the action is being performed upon the subject. And so what Paul is saying is you don't have to do anything, and the world is going to press you into its mold. Everything the world is throwing at you is trying to get you to go along with the world system, the world ways. It's placing before your eyes the allurements of this world. It's calling you to the desires of this world. It just happens. Every social media page, every advertisement, every sitcom that is produced by the world, everything in this world is calling you away from Jesus to worship the world instead. So we've got to be on guard against that. And thankfully, we've not been left defenseless. Paul tells us how we can stand in this fight. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. I don't think it rhymes as well in the Hebrew or the Greek, but it sure is pretty catchy there in the English, isn't it? Don't be conformed, be transformed. You can probably commit that to memory. And every day ask yourself, am I conforming or transforming? Because one of the two is happening. Paul says we must be transformed. We must be metamorphized. We must be changed to be like Jesus. And he says, here's how that happens. By the renewal of your mind. So the key to maintaining our worship of God, the key to finding victory in this fight for our worship is found in having a renewed mind. The devil's battlefield is between your ears. What you think will determine how you live. What you think will determine how you live. And if you don't think about how you live, you're not going to live right. Not thinking is not an excuse 
We're called to love God with our minds. So we've got to think right things. We've got to know right things. This is why scripture and doctrine is so important. It's what we build our lives upon. And as we study these things, as we know these things, as we learn these things, it changes how we think about things. And when you're changing things, your thinking changes, then your living changes. So Paul calls us to have a a renewed mind. And one of the best places to to gain a renewed mind is to get your mind in the Word of God. In Psalm 19, the second half of that psalm, the psalmist turns his attention to the divine revelation of God given in His Word. And in Psalm 19, 7, he says, The law of the Lord is His synonym for the Word of God. The, The Word of God is perfect, reviving the soul. He continues on and he says, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them there is great reward. I know when we turn the page to a new calendar and a new year, it's an opportunity for new things, new beginnings. And hopefully one of the things we always come back to is a recommitment to spend time in God's Word. And as we come here at the beginning of this year, it's a great opportunity to find a plan to guide you in reading God's Word. You can find them online. You you can find them in some of your study Bibles. There's numerous plans, but the main thing is that you need to spend time in God's Word so that God's Word can spend time in you and change the way that you think. Paul says that we're going to fight the world for the worship that it's calling us to. We've got to have a renewed mind. And that renewed mind comes primarily through the Word of God working in us. And then finally, number four, Paul tells us here, that worship fulfills God's will for our lives. Having grounded us in the gospel, called us to worship comprehensively in everything and every day, called us to be on guard against the worship this world would allure us to, Paul then says, if we'll worship with a renewed mind, the last part of verse 2, that we'll be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I think every one of us in here this morning would probably agree that we want to be in God's will. In 2023, I want to be in God's will. Certainly don't want to walk outside of God's will. But how do we know what God's will is? It's one of the great questions of the faith. How do we discern what God's will is? Well, Paul tells us right here. When we have a renewed mind and we give our lives over to worship of God in everything that we do, Paul says, you'll know what God's will is. And here's here's the simple way that that shapes out. What does it look like for me to make much of God in this situation? What does it look like for me to make much of God in my job in 2023? What does it look like for me to make much of God in uh, my marriage in 2023? What does it look like for me to make much of God in uh, my service to the church in 2023? 
If we'll hear what Paul is saying and realize that all of life is really about worship, then we'll begin to understand and know what's good and acceptable and perfect in the eyes of God. Because according to Paul, the key to discovering the will of God is to live a life devoted in worship to Him. So as we think about that this morning, of being on purpose in our worship, I want to read again for us the words of the hymn that we sang, Come Thou Fount. Because it's the prayer that we can offer to the Lord on this day and really every day that we can worship on purpose before Him. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I am constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it, Lord, for thy courts above. Would you ask God to seal your heart today for him? Would you ask God to bind you to the gospel of Jesus Christ in 2023? That this day and every day forward, you would live and worship for him. Let's pray.